in our public reading, you notice that Matthew quoted an Old Testament prophet. that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Matthew 1, verse number 6. Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. He doesn't say who the prophet is, but we turn there to the prophet of Micah. Micah, very close to Michael, both meaning who is like the Lord. Micah. Michael. Chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 1 is actually chapter 4 and verse 14 in the Hebrew Bible. Verse 13, the end of our English Bible there, indicates that Zion will become powerful. And then seems to reverse it in verse 1, where they seem to go on the defensive. And it says, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with with a rod upon the cheek. And then we have the major prophecy of Christ in verse 2. And so many prophets indicate that when the Messiah comes, it will be a very low ebb for the nation of Israel. Just like Isaiah said, they that sit in darkness have seen a great light. But though they are on the defensive and though they are very weak, like the Lord Jesus, Jesus it says, He will not quench a smoking flax or crush a bruised reed. They are bruised reeds and smoking flaxes and how often we are, even after conversion. But the major prophecy of Jesus is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I should say a major prophecy. The only place you know of in the Old Testament that predicts his birthplace. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, although thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so our focus will be on this verse 2. A prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, there are several clues to the coming of Christ in verse 2. Once again, from the Old Testament Scriptures, God is telling us in advance some clues about who the Messiah is, what will He do, what will He be, where shall He come from, when shall He come. And you know, we are grateful that the Bible is as, is as long as it is, or humanity would have been the history of two people. And so the next time we think about the length of the Bible, how grateful we should be, because that means that it didn't end. human race did not end in the Garden of Eden. The 
gospel was preached to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The first mention of Christ, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, He's the seed of the woman. Jesus is the hope of sinners. Jesus is the gospel. And He is God's leverage to save guilty souls. So God has been giving us hints for 4,000 years. There's a question that I listened to on the radio from a a three-year-old. Pretty insightful. But he said, why did it take God so long to send Jesus? Why did it take God so long to send Jesus? Well, we do have an answer from Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. So it was perfect timing as far as God's concerned, but it seems like such a long time, 4,000 years. And people have suggested some answers. Um, One I like, I heard a long time ago, God gave man plenty of time to find a Savior for himself. couldn't find it. 4,000 years he tried to push forward. And it is suggested in Ezekiel, and I sought for a man among them that should stand in the gap and, and, uh, and prevent man from, as it were, perishing, and I found none. Go ahead. Put forth your, your best efforts. And all we could find, whether it be prophet, priest, or king, were sinners, fallen men and women. Sinners saved by grace, yet unable to save anyone else. Unable to save themselves, but saved by the grace of God. So Jesus is given to us in clues in the Old Testament Scriptures. And how grateful the Lord didn't listen to us. You know, I, 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 I think about I don't know why it's been going through my mind lately, but people are saying, just leave us alone. Let us live our own lives. Why do you have to um, invade us? And the answer is because we're His creatures. That's, that's indicated in Psalm chapter 2, right? Psalm 2 where it says, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. The Lord made us. And can you imagine making something? And, you know, I've been singing. I sang the gingerbread man in the bus this week. But can you imagine making a gingerbread man and running away? You know. But that's what man is. God made us, and He ran away from him. And man just saying, "Leave us alone. Let us find our own utopia, as it were. Let us live forever." But I'm thankful that God didn't leave us alone. He intervened. He intervened. Instead of just sending all of us to hell with the fallen angels, He was willing to send His own Son and save us from our sins. And you and I know none of us seek after God. He sought us. And so many illustrations of salvation like the shepherd that found the lost sheep and put the sheep on his shoulders and carried him to the fold. Well, verse 2 gives some clues that certainly help people to pray. And and I'm sure that in every generation they were looking for 
uh, these clues in the expectation of their Savior, but these are the clues from, Matt, from, from Micah chapter 5. The first clue is mercy, but is the first word of verse 2. However is the idea. They're hopeless. They're on the defensive. They're ready to be destroyed by their enemy. But God intervenes. Under the threat of of extinction, hope comes. Again, they that sit in darkness have seen a great light. So whether it was Philistia or Assyria or Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Turkey, whatever be the nation that threatened Germany, whatever nation threatens God's people or threatens the church, God in His mercy prevents us from total extinction. And you know, not just the nations are representative of enemies to destroy, but certainly is ready to destroy us. Our pride and our unbelief, our greed, our hatred, our idolatry, deceit, immorality and blasphemy, all these things are threatening to undo us. But thou, but or however the Lord has intervened in the sending of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Think of it, from our sins. That means sin is destructive. It's something that is absolutely heinous and and self-destroying. He saves us from the very things that would destroy us. Even if Satan was gone from the earth and all his demons, would that alleviate us? Would that alleviate man of his enemy? Our sins have hid God's face from us that he will not hear. And so a clue is God was being merciful to the human race by prophesying Christ. That the Bible is this long because of mercy. That it's not just a history of two people, but a history of millions of lost sinners coming to Christ because of God's mercy or His covenant love. Second clue is nativity. This Savior must be born. He is going to be not like the first Adam created a, an adult, but the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the inhabitants of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come. And so, out of thee shall he come speaks of his nativity. And we, we're, we're shown here that Bethlehem, Ephrathah, now, the word Ephrata is simply the word fruitful. It's like the name Ephraim. But Ephrata was kind of the, the, the area that Bethlehem was in. Sometimes it was called Ephrata. But sometimes Bethlehem was Bethlehem of Judah. Like we read in Matthew, Bethlehem of Judea. Sometimes it was Bethlehem Ephrata. Certainly Bethlehem, the house of bread, is... Indicative, since Christ is going to be born there, fruitful to mankind. But at Bethlehem was was uh, insignificant to say the least. Very small town, 
very few people, comparatively speaking. But it was the birthplace of David, so you almost have a parallel there. David seemed to be the least of Jesse's sons, wasn't he? Jesse didn't even consider David when he presented the rest of his sons to Samuel. David was not part of the plan as far as his father was concerned. And the Lord Jesus, isn't this like the Lord would be born in that insignificant place? And seemingly be insignificant in the way that He lived, in the way that He was born, in the kind of family that He lived in. And isn't it interesting, do you ever read in the New Testament, did anyone ever ask if Jesus was from Bethlehem when they considered if He was a Messiah? And Dan was sharing with us the other day that, that he was from Galilee and, and people scorned that where, is it, where does the Bible say that the Messiah shall, be from, shall come from Galilee? And yet it says in Isaiah that he would be from Galilee of the nations. He would come from that northern section of the Middle East. They could have simply read in Isaiah to indicate that he was going to come from Galilee. And you see here in Matthew chapter 2, they did read Isaiah. And they did read Micah. And they realized that Jesus would come from Bethlehem. So we know that he would have to be born. And we know from passages in Scripture that Messiah would have to be God. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Old Testament indicates that the Messiah would be divine. And yet Micah says he has to be born. And so there is a seeming contradiction here. But yet you put those two together and Messiah would have to be God and man. He would have to be theanthropos. God first taking into union the divine nature. But we have the clue that He would not only be born, but He would be born in Bethlehem. And so we sing often, do we not, O little town of Bethlehem. We see the clue of His family. He would be from the tribe of Judah, as David was from the line of Judah. But Jacob prophesied this long ago. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The word Shiloh is not an easy word to translate. Or, but it, we believe it means to whom the kingdom belongs. Literally, to whom it belongs. And it's referring to the kingdom. And so this Messiah would be one who has a scepter a rod that a king would hold and that he would be in control of the kingdom. And notice you have a hint of the gospel and the success of the gospel. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The word gathering in Genesis 49.10 means obedience. Unto him shall the obedience of the people be. He will subdue sinners by saving their souls. And this would be a Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. 
So the Lord continued to pile on clues who to look for that Jesus would be God and He would be a, a real man. As we see, as we have memorized in our shorter catechism, He took a real body and a reasonable soul. He was a real man. And He, he ever was and continues to be both God and man forever. We see, fourthly, kind of the central clue here, the intimacy of the Messiah, or we might say, His affinity. Notice it says, not in this text, but elsewhere, yet out of thee shall He come forth unto me. Don't lose track of, or don't miss the unto me. In Isaiah it says, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. But here it says, this child is born unto me. Don't miss that. Who is the me here? It's as if the Lord now takes over instead of having, instead of having Micah write from a third person view, the Lord takes over and speaks. And He says that this child will be born unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. So the Lord speaks in this latter part of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. In other words, the father is waiting for this child to be born. He's watching over the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ with intensity, with delight, with expectation. And the unto me as the idea also the fact that that this child will serve the plans of God and not the plans of man. That it's all about the, 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 this child doing the will of the Father. And how often do we hear this? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you know, the parents wait for the child to be born with great expectation and joy. But it's the Father. Because as we know, Jesus had no human father. He had Mary's DNA, but he didn't have Joseph's DNA. And it's the Father that's watching over this birth. Oh, we're, 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 gaining, we're gaining a little insight into the secret of, of the love of the Father and the Son. The Father watching over His Son, as Isaiah says, is a tender plant. And the unto me has the idea also of advantage. Like unto you as child is born, unto you. The unto has the idea of for your benefit, for your advantage. And this child will be for the benefit of God. It will glorify, he will glorify God in his justice because no one can say that Jesus saving sinners and bringing them into heaven forfeited God's justice or bypassed his justice. You can't but see His Son hanging on a tree, bleeding and dying for you and me. And how dare anyone say that God forfeited His justice when Jesus was judged for our sins. He paid for our sins. But what truth and what mercy was exhibited in that He saves us by that death. But it's for the advantage of God. He was glorified. God's justice is magnified at Calvary. And 
through the life of Jesus Christ. And His mercy is magnified at the same time. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other, the Bible teaches, at Calvary. There's only justice for people who die without Christ. It's a painful thought of someone daring to die without the Savior. There's no second chance once people die. If you and I are going to take the sides of God, we have to confess there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. But for you and me who trust in the Lord Jesus, we have a heaven to gain. But that is not at the expense of God's justice. It's at the exercise of His justice at Calvary. And the delegation and the... And the, the uh, exercise of His mercy to save us. But this birth was glorious to the Father. Glorious to the Father. Unto me shall this baby be born in Bethlehem. God's unique Son. God's only Son was born in Bethlehem. The next clue, the fifth clue, is His destiny. The Bible says he'll be a ruler in Israel. Matthew said he's the governor. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Isaiah said the government would be upon his shoulder. Jesus said all power is given unto me. The Son of Man has authority. He has authority to save and he has authority to condemn. When he ascended to heaven, the Bible says he sat down expecting his foes to be his footstool. He spoke with authority and not as the scribes. He's the King of Saints. He's the Lord of all. It's his destiny. He's the King now, but so few know it. So few believe it. So few feel it. So few are confident in their arrogance. Daring to die without Christ. I can remember being afraid to die. I think there was, not everyone has what people call prevenient grace, where people begin to feel what their real condition is. But I can remember being terrified to die. I didn't know where I was going to go. I was afraid to die unready. Putting my ear to my parents' doors, hoping that they were still breathing, because neither of us knew where we were going if we, when we die. But Jesus' destiny, He is the King. He's the judge. He's the one that dispenses His mercy. And He's the one that will also dispense His justice. There are degrees of rewards for believers and degrees of punishment for unbelievers. A terrifying thought. But what destiny was prophesied of the Messiah. He is to be the ruler in Israel. Do you believe that Jesus is the ruler? Do you believe He's over our president? Over every king and queen and prime minister and leader in all the world? Jesus is the king. He sits on the throne of the universe. He is God's governor. He's the governor of the nations. Oh, that we would live more of that realization. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the Governor of the Nations. 
We have an audience with the governor of the world in prayer. Today we worship the governor of glory, the Lord Jesus. Oh, that we would be stirred in our souls to realize the privilege of being a child of the Lord. And here the child, even prophesying his birth, has already a history. The next clue is his history. The Bible says in, in this text, his goings forth have been from of old. You and I did not have a history when we were born. We had a history of a minute once we were out of the, the womb of our, our, mo- our mothers. But this child has a history already. His goings forth have been from of old. But he's just been born, Micah says. What is this history? Well, certainly creation. Very similar language is in Psalm 102 and Hebrews 1. Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth. And it says in Micah, his goings forth have been from of old. The goings forth is from the same root as out of thee shall come forth him that is to be. A ruler. So it, it comes from the same root of birth, but the idea is activity. He's born in this activity. There's activity going on. He's moving in history. He's, he's act, acting, interacting in history. And so no doubt it's referring to creation. It's referring to the Lord in the Old Testament, the pre-incarnate manifestations of Christ. Those were His goings forth from of old. When He appeared to Abraham, you remember, the three appeared. Two were angels and one, we believe, was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. We see in Joshua that Joshua meets with the captain of the Lord's host and when he introduces himself, Joshua falls on his face and worships Him. We see Him revealing Himself to to, uh, Samson's parents. In, his pre-incarnate. in other words, 